Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Joining us right now, uh, he's a friend. I love this man because he loves us with all his heart. He's got a new book out called Police Brutality and White Supremacy, The Fight Against American Traditions. Let me welcome Atan Thomas. And he's come with reinforcement. Hey, you brought reinforcement. Uh, you brought Corey McCoy, who is the brother of Willie McCoy, who was killed by police in Vallejo. Police uh, in Vallejo. Welcome, Corey, to the Karen Hunter Show. Hi. Hello. Thank you Thanks. for having me. Thanks for coming. Now, some people know you, Atan, as a superstar uh, basketball player because, you, you know, you did that for 11 years in the NBA. Yeah. I know you as a justice advocate, fighter for justice and all things, and also a super dad. Um, you have some books on fatherhood. You have a book on fatherhood. We matter, athletes right. and activism. What inspired you to do this book? Um, well, first of all, thanks for bringing me back on the show. You know, you've always been great. We came on last time with Emerald Gardner, and you were very gracious to us and allowed us to promote everything that she's doing. Um, I just have a passion, honestly. I have a passion for us, um, for fighting for what's right. And, you know, when We Matter, I, um, you know, was really focusing on the, the voice of athletes to really be able to push athletes to continue using their voices and showing the power of their voices. But now I want to take a, a deeper dive into this topic of police brutality and the history of white supremacy. Um, it really is a tradition. It's an American tradition. So I, I took a deep dive into it and, and I wanted to use the platform again to be able to, um, to show the different family members of victims of police brutality, like, like Mr. Uh, Corey McCoy. Um, and what I, you know, when I read about what happened to his brother, Willie, I mean, it, it, there's so many different cases and I'll let him tell the, his story himself, but, you know, being able to use, I was, I was blessed to play in the NBA. So there's a platform that I have. So be able to use that platform to be able to, um, you know, uplift and encourage and support the, the, the efforts, especially of the family members on um, it's a blessing to be able to do. So that's really my inspiration of writing the book. So, Corey, uh, tell us what happened to Willie. Tell us what happened to your brother. Uh, yes. Yeah, so February uh, 9th of uh, 2019, uh, my brother had fallen asleep uh, behind the wheel of his car uh, in a Taco Bell drive through in Vallejo, California. Um, now, there were Taco Bell employees. There were... Uh, food delivery drivers that were parked behind my brother, uh, at least three or four people that all came to the side of the window, looking in, trying to see what was going on with them. People had been honking their horns and whatnot. Um, the call was made to 911 for a wellness check. Uh, what ended up happening was Vallejo police showed up and if you have an opportunity to watch the video, and I want to give a shout out to Etan right now, just before I continue, because he is someone that, yeah, I knew who he was as a fan of sports and basketball. I remember him playing in Syracuse and playing in the pros, but I met Etan through a mutual friend in this advocacy fight. And when I spoke to him and when he spoke to me, he wasn't someone that was providing a platform because he wanted to grab a headline. This was a person that I knew from the things he was telling me that had taken time to see what had actually happened to my brother, the available video. And to listen to him speak on it, it let me know that 
this is the type of platform that I want to speak on. This is someone that has given me an opportunity to share my brother's story um, for the right reasons. And so getting back to Willie's story, the police were called. And if you watch the video, it gets to a point in the video where they allegedly say there's a gun in his lap. Now, I want to say this up front. I personally, my family, our attorneys, we have seen all 37 body cam videos. Now, no one can show me a gun in any one of those videos. Um, from the time my brother is seen sleeping in the car to the time he is af after he has taken uh, 38 bullets, there were 55 rounds shot from six officers in three and a half seconds. 38 hit my brother, 13 of them were fatal. He was then yanked out of the car so hard that his shoes remained in the car. Now he was yanked onto the ground. You still cannot see a gun in any of these videos. You don't see a gun until much later uh, when it's almost daylight. And this is after you can see and hear officers in video huddling up, calling what I would consider to be the next football play, how we're going to basically manipulate the crime scene and what our story is gonna be. And for, uh, there's so much to cover with my brother's uh, death because of the history of policing in Vallejo. Um, I know from when Eton first uh, began to give my brother uh, some notice, a lot of things have happened in the history, uh, in the city of Vallejo regarding policing. Things have been broken by networks, uh, media networks, as far as badge bending. I don't know if any of you are familiar with badge bending. It's a tradition that was that has been taking place. We know now that the night my brother was murdered, uh, the six officers the following morning were prepared to do a tradition of where they bend one of the six tips of their badge after they get a kill on a citizen. And this has been taking place for many decades in the city of Vallejo. Uh, Open Vallejo is an excellent uh, research and uh, information legitimate network that puts out a lot of uh, credible information about what's been going on. So we do know that I can't speak on some of these specifics simply because we are in litigation with our uh, civil trial. And there are some things, Vallejo is fighting us every tooth and nail uh, for every piece of paper and report that we ask for. And just to give you guys kind of an understanding, we do know for a fact that the following morning after Willie was executed, they were in the parking lot, the six officers that is, of the Vallejo Police Department after they had given their statements and they were discussing when they were going to bend their badges. Um, they were drinking beer at the time. Uh, the judge in our civil trial to let you all know that I'm not puffing smoke. We have seven things that uh, we have filed against the Vallejo Police Department with our civil trial. One of them was conspiracy to commit murder. About eight months ago, the federal judge in our case, uh, which is, went along with something that is unheard of, where he actually allowed the conspiracy charge to stick. And that is unheard of when it comes to prosecuting. Well, they're not being prosecuted, but in a civil trial, uh, when it comes to police officers, the same judge 
has now come back. It's been about three months. And he has now said that after having to do much research, even though conspiracy, he believes, acknowledges took place because of something Eton posted uh, talking about a couple of days ago with qualified immunity, we are being forced to drop the conspiracy charge. So I wanna let people know that we have a federal judge that has acknowledged a conspiracy for murder with these officers. So when I say my brother was executed, he was executed. These officers talked about what they were going to do. It's on videotape. They literally said, we're not gonna give him a chance. If he moves, you know what to do. As far as the gun goes, I wanna just continue to say it has to be referred to as an alleged gun because we haven't seen one and they can't show us any video of where there is one. They can show us a gun in a bag uh, after the fact, once it's daylight the next morning, but they at no point can show us a gun uh, in my brother's possession. They can't show us a gun in the car. They can't show us a gun that fell to the ground when they yanked him out the car. They can't show us any video where they physically retrieved a gun from the car. And I know I'm kind of being a little long lasted. If you just bear with me, these are some of the false narratives that police departments put out as soon as these murders take place. Because what would the average person think if they, if they knew the truth, that my brother did not have a gun, they would be like, well, the police murdered him then. Well, why would they do that? These things are not uh, conspiracy theories. Um, we've been called lunatic friends, conspiracy theory. This is what we were called at the beginning when Willie was first murdered. A year later, when the badge bending allegations came out and they realized, oh my God, this stuff has really been happening and we have district attorneys and we have uh, people in high places, county supervisors. Um, my family has sat with senators, congressmen. They've all cried about what happened. They've all acknowledged uh, that my brother was murdered, but yet they are in bed and they do business with the Vallejo Police Union, which is the most powerful entity in the city and they and these police officers have a license to kill, and they've been doing it uh, nineteen kills in the city of Vallejo in the last decade. We're talking with that's Corey McCoy. Um, he's talking about his brother Willie McCoy, uh, who was gunned down, thirty-eight bullets, fifty-five shots um, into a car. Man was asleep. They also published his uh, arrest record. You know his criminal conviction because they that's, that's that's how you have to do that. I have to correct you on that. My brother was not convicted. He was exonerated. Okay. That's even, you know, but, but it's on and, the record, you know, like well, but they, see, they but, put but that he, out there and I'm not, no, I'm not indicting him. I'm saying that. No, you have I know to... you're not, but, but I, but I need to say that this is part of the victim blaming narrative yeah. that is used that has nothing to do with what happened to Willie. Right. Um, anybody yeah. that wants to do the research. Yes. My brother was charged. Uh, you can go look and see what in the city of San Francisco, uh, about two and a half, three years prior to his death. He hired an attorney like anyone who gets their due process would do. And he was exonerated from what he was charged with. So when they show a mugshot of Willie uh, being arrested in San Francisco, people need to know that pained look on his face. He had just been 
beaten by two or three San Francisco police officers before they took that mud shot. And, and they're gonna do everything in their power, whether it's show uh, some of his art. My brother was a rapper. You can find yeah. videos that he's made. I don't care uh, what he's doing while he's expressing his art. You're not, I'm not gonna allow you to victim blame him because he's uh, showing a, a certain circumstance that he and many of his friends had to come up in. 866-801-8255. We're talking with Corey McCoy, the brother of Willie McCoy. Etan Thomas is here. He's the author of Police Brutality and White Supremacy. In this book, you feature interviews with everyone from Steph Curry to Chuck D, uh, Yamich Alcindor, who uh, is an amazing journalist, Jamel Hill and others. What is it that you want us to walk away from uh, at time when we read this book? Well, there's a lot, you know, I mean, and just dealing with everything that Corey just said, there's a constant theme that always happens. I mean, I talked to Steven Jackson and uh, if everybody remembers how close he was with George Floyd and the same thing happened in that case um, before the video came out. If it wasn't for Don Miss uh, Darnella Frazier, we would have never known anything. We would never have even heard of, of George Floyd because they had already written the report. They had already filed it. They didn't mention anything about the, the cop uh, kneeling on his neck for nine minutes and then killed. They, they, they just, it was already all done. And they, and they posed it as him being the aggressor. Um, so a lot of times what I'm, what I'm seeing as I'm talking and looking at these different cases that, is that the same thing always happens when the police vilify the victim, the victim who, who they killed. They vilify the victim, put out a false narrative, and they're not held accountable for it. I'm quite and, certain. And Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I'm, I'm quite certain, as Willie was, that George Floyd, if you look at the police report, the six police officers that murdered Willie are listed as the victims. Willie is listed as the suspect. It, it's all uh, organized and plotted out a planned narrative of this is uh, how we deal with police murder 101. As Etan was saying, the police reports are being written by the co-workers and friends of these officers. Right. And, and that's one of the things that we examine in the book is now now we identify the issue. Now, what are solutions that we can that we can get to to try to fix this issue? Um, I talked to a retired policeman, um, Officer Joe Estead, who was the vice president of the police union. Um, you know, I talked to uh, Sonia Pruitt, who is a captain right here in Montgomery County. Um, you know, and, and they're all offering different solutions that a lot of police um, departments are not against. I want to say this also, because since I've started doing this work, working with We Matter, I've, I've worked with a lot of different um, either panels or organizations or functions or something like that. And these police policemen will tell you that, yes, they do. They do have to wear too many hats. Yes, they are responsible for things that they haven't been trained to, to be responsible for. Yes, it doesn't make. But then once you talk about funding, they don't want to lose the funding for that, whatever it is that they're being um, paid to do. So that's where it becomes an issue. And then you have the issues of the politicization of being answered. So even right now, even the, my, my book and have, doing a book on this title, the first response from a lot of people from, you know, I don't want to say just the right, but, you know, a lot of people from the right is that, oh, so you're anti-police. And it's like, well, no, it has nothing to do with being anti-police. Everybody should be anti-police brutality. Is anybody pro-police brutality? You know what I mean? But, that, but that's the narrative that they try to flip it towards. And, but just taking each, so what I did was I took each chapter is a different topic and I go through each of them. 
Um, start off with Rodney King. Right? I'll talk about my personal, you know, that was like, I was a go back to middle school and I'm talking about, but I, and I spoke to Rodney King's daughter, um, you know, spoke to Craig Hodges. You know, everybody's giving their perspectives of when they were there. Then I moved into the next topic. I spoke, I, uh, then went to the Central Park Five and spoke to Raymond Santana for the Central Park Five and got his, you know, firsthand account of everything that happened. Uh, spoke to another officer um, there, a New York, a New York um, retired New York officer who was kind of giving the talk to young people about what not to do um, when you're accosted by the police. You know, like never talk to the police without your parents, ever, no matter what. Like never talk to them without your parents. As we saw in, um, you know, when they see us, the way the police manipulated them. So we're, we're, we're identifying, we're using the voices of different people that people recognize and solution oriented. So that's, that's the whole purpose of the book. Yeah, I really want to appreciate, um, thank you, Etan, thank you, Corey, uh, both. Um, Corey, you a couple of times used the word narrative uh, when speaking to kind of the story that's told about your brother, the story that's put out there. Uh, and, um, and as we talk about the use of platform, uh, Etan, the way you are valuably using your own platform, documenting people speaking in their own voice on different sides, with different views, I wouldn't say on different sides, with different views of this picture mm-hmm. of police brutality in America. And, and I, I appreciate that because uh, of this reality uh, of what you connect to and the way you frame and name both brutality and white supremacy as American traditions, right? Mm-hmm. That these are part stories uh, are become embedded in our culture, narratives are become embedded in our culture, and then they begin to manifest in traditions, in rituals, and in practices. And we begin to protect those rather than thinking clearly about uh, actually what we're there to do. And so I wanted to ask a question because this last thing you ne- you noted, I experienced. So I co-chaired something called the Ferguson Commission after the police killing of Michael Brown. And on that commission were police officers and the head of the state police union was on that commission with me. And one of the things that he and I agreed on um, was this idea that you just talked about, that police are being asked to do more than they signed up for. And none of them signed up, you know, including nobody went through the police academy to stop people for walking down the street. Nobody went to the police academy to write tickets, right? Uh, no matter where they came from, he believed police were being used in a way that was inconsistent with their original inspirations. But he was also caught up in inhibiting um, better legislation, better ordinances, because he headed the police union. And so I wanted to, if you would say a little word about the difference between police who agreed with certain solutions, police departments who may have wanted certain solutions, and police unions who are also a part of this discussion. And see, are there things that you found in those distinctions that are keeping us from getting at better solutions to police brutality. Well, one of the issues with police unions is that they're they're dedicated to defending the police right or wrong. Not they're not defending the police when they're right. They're defending them regardless. And that's a bigger major issue. There's no checks and balances. So so if you're if you're going to defend somebody, you know, whether they're right or wrong, you're not on the the the, the side of truth or justice. You're just defending them no matter what. That's the way police unions are set up. I mean, we have case after case where, though, and, and I gotta say that New York police union might be one of the worst, uh, to be honest with you. And I'm, 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 
you know, I was, I was just doing an interview with the Amsterdam News and they were asking me if I was hopeful for Eric Adams. And I was like, hopeful for what? <laughs> like, what do you mean? What do you mean am I hopeful? You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. I'm, I'm looking at how he's moving and who he's, um, you know, kind of pandering to. And I know the strength of police unions. And I, I, I saw how even how the police unions treated Bloomberg. I mean, I saw how the police unions treated, I mean, they they want their way or the highway and there's no even in between. Uh, who is who is the where they turn their back on? Um, that was De Blasio. De Blasio, mm-hmm. right? They all turn. I was like, wow, look at the look at the amount of defiance. Look at the and they're always talking about law and order, respect the rules, but not when it comes to them. When it comes to them, they want their way, not the rules, but their way. So a lot of the issues comes that the police unions have too much power, and that's the honest truth. But if you but it, and it's not a matter of because a lot of times people like to turn the turn the discussion to. Um, bad apples. There's not a bad apples situation. It's a bad system. The system, the setup is bad. So even if you have so-called good apples, they can't stand out stand out and speak against the, 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 the bad apples because of the way the system is set up. They can't report to their boss. The, the, the whole of, of investigating yourself, like not having an outside entity to investigate that. That's like, okay, so we, I, you know, I have children. If I if, if my children did something and I said, OK, you go and you tell me what you did wrong. I don't look at nothing. I don't look, say that you just tell me what you did wrong. And they come back and they say, you know what? We didn't do anything wrong. And then that's it. It's over. The discussion is over. That's what we have with police departments. It doesn't make any sense. You can't function where you don't have checks and balances and people aren't being held accountable. And that's the problem. So what what, um, you know, Corey was talking about with qualified immunity I had just interviewed um, Lee Merritt, who's running for attorney general in Texas. And I asked him, where are you with qualified immunity? Because that's like the number one issue why, we, you know, police officers aren't being held accountable is because of this topic of qualified immunity. And he said, no, it has no place. You can't have checks and balances as long as this is in place. People understand that we'll look at one case here or there where a police officer gets, you know, guilty or gets charged with something. He, and, he, and he said it during the interview. Um, less than one percent of police officers, you know what I mean, get charged, get get held accountable. Less than one percent, and these are ones that not. It's when you have a number like that, you can't function properly. There is no functioning properly if only one percent are even getting held accountable for anything, and that's and so, that's that's the crux of the problem. And and so let me ask the panel: In a city like Vallejo, see, I'm kind of like. I'm having a, a little difficulty as far as the solutions that you guys are talking about with the police. Um, you know, because I deal with impacted families, people that have, have, to, have to live the rest of their lives that will never get their loved one back. Mothers and fathers, uh, aunts and uncles and cousins. And so a city like Vallejo has multiple officers with multiple kids. We had an officer who killed three people in a five-month period and was promoted to detective. So see, I, I think that when we're talking about police reform, um, it, it really what really bothers me is that I feel like it's a lot of smoke being blown. If we're talking about justice, I don't know what justice is to everybody. Justice to me for what happened to my brother is six officers getting life in prison without parole or possibly the death penalty. So Agreed. until we're ready to make changes to qualified immunity, make changes to the police officer's bill of rights, mm-hmm. which is gonna make 
uh, say, uh, criminal law as far as prosecuting police officers more similar to the way that they can be held responsible civilly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to hear about taking a crumb, you know, of justice. I don't want to hear about defunding the police. No, I'm not. A, I'm not a lawyer. But let's get the smart people in the room and let's have them actually write the real law that we're the reason why these officers are out here doing what they're doing is because they have a license to play God with mm-hmm. you and your family's lives. They can do anything they want to, and they don't fear any repercussion because they know nothing is going to happen. The six mm-hmm. officers that murdered my brother were cleared by their own department and back mm-hmm. out on the street before my brother was even buried. Back mm-hmm. at work wow. on the street. Think about that. And, and let's say their and, names. Uh, Ryan McMahon, Colin Ryan Eaton, McMahon. Uh, Brian Colin Glick. Eaton. I'm going to do it. Brian, Brian Glick, Glick. Jordan Patz. Anthony Romero Cano, yes, Mark and Mark Thompson, all Mark Thompson back on the street. And and you know, I know that you guys only have so much time, but anyone that's interested that wants to know how deep this stuff goes, I'm willing to share it because see, uh, back in 2004, I don't know if y'all have heard of the Oakland Riders, Oakland, California, a group of corrupt police officers Mm -hmm. that were basically a police gang. Mm-hmm. The federal government was called in and they just uh, recently in the last few months were finally after 20 plus years relieved of federal oversight. Many of these same officers that were kicked out of Oakland were, were ended up being in Vallejo. Officer Mark Thompson, who you just named, who took part in murdering Willie, former Oakland police officer. There are connections all over the place for people who really want to know the truth and want and want to put the uh, kind of connect the dots, per se. And, and, and let me just add to what you're too. saying. Let me add to what you're saying. The 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 um, solutions have to be holding them accountable. Like if yes. they can do whatever they want to, then, of course, that's the way they're going to operate. That's like having a child and you don't you give them carte blanche to do whatever they want to stay up as late as you want, you know, eat whatever you want, do it. That's how we treat the police. Unit. That's how we treat the police departments. So, yes, when I when I'm talking about reform, when I'm talking about, you know, putting things in place, that's what it is. And then qualified immunity, you know, actually holding them accountable. Not right now. They, they can do whatever they want to. And you would be amazed at how many departments across the country investigate themselves. Uh, yes. You see, you see it replayed over and over again. I'm talking to different people, both from John's uh, sisters, uh, Tatiana Jefferson's uh, sisters, um, Sean Monterosa's um, sisters, yeah. and also in Vallejo. All these different people I'm talking to in my book, and they are all saying the police departments investigated themselves. And, like and that's, so, that's that's amazing to me that we even operate with a system like that where there's no checks and balances. And not only do they investigate themselves to get into the idiosyncrasies of the way the system works when you confront the system and you start discovering, oh shit, that's really how it works? The Vallejo Police Department cleared the six officers. They were back at work. They had obviously, their report was done, but the district attorney of Solano County could not start her criminal investigation on the officers until Vallejo passed the report on to her. There's no time constraint saying how long or when they have to give her the report. So they held the report for close to two years. The reason being, number one, after one year goes by, the Vallejo Police Department themselves can no longer prosecute their officers. When they did pass it on 
to Krishna Abrams, the Solano County District Attorney, she held it almost another year. And then she recused herself because basically she knows that she said the public had lost trust. Now, this is a woman that is in a position that's supposed to be prosecuting or looking at taking this, it seriously to prosecute mm -hmm. police officers. She herself is married currently to a Solano County Sheriff. Wow. So where is the transparency mm -hmm. uh, in this? She mm -hmm. kicked the case to Michael Ramos, uh, San Bernardino, uh, former San Bernardino County uh, prosecutor, who basically is a friend of hers. He's not looking at the video that is available. He's making his judgment on the report that the Vallejo police officers wrote. Mm -hmm. Now I have that report and everything in that report, you know, they say that Willie looked them in the eye threateningly before they shot and killed him. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you All know, right. um, we're, talk we're talking with Corey, Corey mm -hmm. McCoy, uh, the brother of Willie McCoy, who was gunned down by Vallejo pre uh, police. Uh, of course, Etan Thomas, his book uh, chronicles this and, and so many others is, is called Police Brutality and White Supremacy, the Fight Against American Tradition. We have a couple of calls. We only have a few minutes left. I want to get uh, Derek, who's been holding on since we started, basically, this conversation. Derek in California wants to share his experience living in Vallejo. Hi, Derek. Hey, how you doing, Karen? Uh, First-time caller, and uh, I love the show. Thank you. I'm glad I found you guys, um, and I'm glad I turned tuned in today. Um, I remember when Willie was shot. Willie used to, well, he... Um, helped my son, Dacian Cole, with um, a camp that he was doing for the youth. And Hello. that was maybe like a year or so before he was killed. And, um, you know, I remember, who else? Ronnell Foster. Uh, they called yes. Cat Daddy out there. You yes. know, they, um, same, I believe it was one of the same officers that was involved with Willie. Was Ryan, Ryan, McMahon, Ryan McMahon murdered Ronnell Foster. He was one of the six that murdered Willie. Yes. Right. Wow. Um, and hell, my home was burned down in Vallejo. I used to live in, um, my brother's home, I used to live in Long And my neighbor burned my home down. We called Vallejo PD about these neighbors, and when it was all said and done, they didn't have any record of anything. No calls or anything. And my son is on probation. The probation officer couldn't even generate a record. Um, Vallejo, Vallejo PD's been corrupt, Solano County in general. Um, I personally yes. grew up in Fairfield, in Vallejo over the past 15 years. Um, Fairfield, Vallejo, people, well, people really didn't want to go to Fairfield. Because, again, hell, if, if you had any address outside of uh, Fairfield, they would run you. And right. nine times out of ten, you left, out, you left at least with a ticket. If not, your vehicle was taken. And you, were, uh, and you got a record in Solano County. Or as we used to call Solano County, shit out of luck and no options. Mm -hmm. Brother Derek, thank you. Welcome to the calling family. Don't be a stranger. We have less than a minute uh, left. Uh, Atan, what's the call to action for us? What can we do? How can we help? Oh, there's so much. You know, what I, what I want to do is each each family is fighting to um, in different departments. And so what 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 um, the McCoys are fighting for in Vallejo um, is, is different than what the Garners are fighting for in New York. And what you know, Tiffany Crutcher is fighting for in Tulsa. And you, know, when you look at the the case, they have similarities, but they have so many. I mean, it's it's like it's back in Bayberry time. If you see yeah. some of the laws that we're going by, you're like, really? This is what it's like. The laws are still the same from segregation times. So if they're still the same from there, you know where they apply to us. And it's a matter of being able to continue to not think that everything is okay or believe 
what the police say initially because we see case after case where they lie. That's the only way to say it. They have a report. The report is filled with lies. The video comes out. Then they recant the whole report. We just saw that with George Floyd. You know what I mean? Because that was that was like on the national level, but but it was it, it happens all the time. So there's 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 this is a constant fight, and there's a constant fight that's been going on for decades, and we have to continue to fight. And, and I, I I applaud these family members who are who have the courage and to be able to continue on this fight for their for their loved one that they lost, and they all have that similar courage and fire in them. So that's that's the passion. Well, Etan, uh, as always, open seat here, and I love how you keep bringing these things to the forefront through your work. Uh, appreciate it. Again, the book is called Police Brutality and White Supremacy. Get a copy. Let me thank you, uh, Mr. McCoy, as well. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.